begin by saying uh, good morning again to everybody who's in here and also welcome to those of you who are joining us online right now. I'm glad you all are here joining us. We read and learn from the Bible together each week when we gather for worship and invite our ushers to come forward. If you have a Bible with you, now's a great time to get that out. Uh, if you would like to borrow a Bible, I'll give you verses and page numbers later so it's easy to find. Our ushers are coming up the aisles and you can just get their attention and they would be happy to let you use one during the service. Just put it on the shelf in the back of the room after worship today. Today is a day we call Commitment Sunday. We're celebrating along with our teenagers, our 10th graders especially, who are confirming their faith in Jesus, committing their lives to follow him. We call it Commitment Sunday as all of us commit ourselves or recommit ourselves together to follow Jesus. You all, our 10th graders, our confirmation students, you're taking a step forward with Jesus in your life and also in community, in this community together that shares life together in Christ. And so we're celebrating you and also learning from your example. You guys have learned throughout your confirmation journey and refuge over the years, you've learned that this life that you're entering, this Christian life, is a life of tremendous grace. And most of our world is not really a grace place. Most of our world is, our identity is based on performance. Your identity, your value in so many venues in life, so many environments in life is based on what you do, how much you succeed, whether you got good grades and get praised for that, whether maybe at a different time in life or this time you have a good job, whether you have a good income, whether you have lots of friends, a big network of people, perfectly posed Instagram pictures, lots of likes, shares, comments. Seems like people of every age, it's not just you. We're always got this voice in the back of our heads, wanting to know where we stand. Like, are we good in this group? How do I stand in this group? Am I accepted here? Am I good enough? Am I measuring up to what other people expect of me? Am I measuring up to what I expected? Am I good enough? Am I loved? And you guys have been learning that God gives us a grace-based identity that we belong in the family of God, that you belong in God's family before him and in his people. You've got people, you've got a place, not because of what you've done, not because of any performance you rendered. Jesus makes us family and nothing else does. You've learned about the Christian life as a life of tremendous grace. You've also learned about living a life of discipleship to Jesus. And I'd like to share with everybody here some of, some of your words. These come from a few of the faith papers. Our confirmation students write a little summary of their faith at the end of their confirmation journey. And I want to share with you a few of the things that they said. You guys have learned that life with Jesus is a life of peace. One of you wrote this. One verse that has meant a lot to me is 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I have a lot of anxiety that builds up and manifests itself in stress about school, social interactions and talking to people, and also the future, where my life is headed, what I'm going to do with my life. We all feel anxiety with you for those things. This verse is very helpful to center myself again and know that God cares about every aspect of my life. No anxiety that I have, no matter what it is, is too big or too small for him. Through confirmation, I have learned to trust the Lord with everything that I'm going through, not just things that for some reason I think God has more capacity for. He wants to know about the good and the bad. And this verse helps me remember that. I can cast everything in my mind on the Lord, and he is steadfast and faithful to forgive. Amen, that's true, and thanks for teaching that to us. And then, life, is, life with Jesus is a life of peace. 
It's also a life of treating other people the way that Jesus has treated us. We like to say around here that love pours out. God's love has poured out to us and through us to others. One of you wrote, Jesus gives up his whole life for people, and this is the ultimate act of love. And I can now strive to have that kind of sacrificial love for those around me, whether it be at school, home, or anywhere else. Also, through his death and resurrection, Jesus forgives us before we've even asked for that forgiveness. That immense grace is also an example that Jesus sets for me in his action. Although it's very hard, I try to live out that grace in my life and forgive those around me only out of love for them. Through these examples, I have learned in confirmation how to be a better disciple of Jesus. Amen. And again, we're learning how to be better disciples from you. Life with Jesus is also a life where we continue to learn about him together, about the stories of his life and what he continues to do. One of you wrote Bible stories are another significant piece of my faith. And you came from an environment where you didn't learn a lot about that before, but you said explaining the stories so well, breaking the stories down and understanding them made my faith even stronger. And I always reflect back to my own life and think about that after those stories. Indeed, thank you. And then finally, one of you wrote about how life with Jesus, the life following Jesus, is a life in community across all the generations. You said, my Christian faith is an important part of my life because it helps me connect and relate to people in a more intimate way than with someone who doesn't share the same beliefs with me. Recently, my parents started going to church more often, and they even joined a growth group. This has really brought our family closer together because we all go to church on Sundays instead of just me and whoever brought me. It has brought me better friendships because I've gone to camp and retreats, and I've cried and learned so much with my church friends. And I feel as if we're on a whole other level of friendship with them than with some of my other friends. It also helps me because I always know there are people on my side when I'm at school, and that makes me feel a little bit less anxious. Thank you for your witness. Thanks for your testimony. To all of you, having a chance to read those papers was an encouragement to my faith. And it's kind of that description there that appeared in most of those statements about life together in Christian community that I want to talk to you about today, specifically about how the Holy Spirit of God, how the living Spirit of God speaks to us and guides us as a community, as a people together. This is the fourth and final week of a little mini-series we've been sharing together as a church family about the spiritual life, about the Spirit of God and what it means to live as spiritual people. Let me... Let me transition here by asking you two questions, two questions. First, do you believe that God's spirit still speaks to us? Does God's spirit still guide us in life right now? Or has God simply left us one very long note and said, I'll be back in touch later? <laughs> Don't call me, I'll call you. <laughs> if God is still speaking to us, does he just give everyone kind of their own private messages that we're meant not to tell other people about or compare them or anything? Or does he want us to share guidance with one another? And if that were the case, how on earth would we do that? How would that be practical? But what I want to do right now is show you how the first Christians were learning about this, learning about listening to God together, and learning to build up their community in the Spirit. And this passage we're going to read together is one that I think I just began to understand better in the last year or two of my life. In case you thought at confirmation you were done, the learning goes on. And I'm really excited to share it with you. So if you have a Bible with you, this is the right time to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or if you have a Bible app on your phone or tablet or something, you can scroll through. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1 
And in these Quest Bibles uh, that are here in our worship venue, it's on page 1681. While you're turning there, let me just set the context a little bit. This was originally a letter. It was a letter written by a guy named Paul. We can think of him as Pastor Paul to this church, although he was at some distance at this point. And he wrote a letter to this house church in Corinth to give them some guidance about their Christian life. And the whole letter of Corinthians is full of all kinds of interesting and fantastic problems. It makes me feel better about my faith to read about their faith sometimes. I'm like, they're in the Bible, so that's okay. So he wrote to them, and here toward the end, he was writing them specifically about how the Spirit continues to guide them as a community. Everyone in this church was a first-generation follower of Jesus. They didn't know anything about this stuff yet. They heard the gospel, they came to believe it, and they had a lot to learn. And this is where it begins. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Spirit's giving you things, and I want you to be able to understand this. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols, right? There in Corinth, you'd go to the Roman temples of this, that, or the other god, and there was a statue there, and it wasn't talking to you or leading you. You're just supposed to make sacrifices and hope that it rained or something like that, right? So mute idols. Therefore, now, now that you're worshiping the living God, let me help you with this. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, you're learning about speaking in the Spirit. This is all new for you. No one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So just real like 101 level stuff, the Spirit isn't moonlighting, creating other truths or other religions or whatever, right? The Spirit leads us in community in Christ together toward the Lordship of Jesus over our lives. And we've been talking about that in the last few weeks here in this church community, and so some of that sounds familiar. But one thing that I think is important to point out about that is how the Spirit works in each of our lives in different circumstances to lead us to Jesus, right? Jesus is the Lord of his whole church, but my next step of followership to Jesus, when Jesus comes to me and says, follow me, I probably have a different next step than you have, and you have a different next step than you have, and they have different next steps than, than they have, right? We all have different next steps, and the, the Spirit of Jesus continues to invite us forward to live out our confession that Jesus is Lord. Well, let's keep going with this. In verse 4, Paul continues to write, Now there are different kinds of gifts, different things the Spirit is doing in you, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work, right? There's a unity among us and a diversity of the ways in which God is working among us to build that unity together. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's like one of the central phrases in this passage, for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. There's lots of different things here, right? To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Still to another, interpretation. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All right. The basic underlying idea here is one that I think most people agree with pretty rapidly, right? People are different, but they can come together in one community. There's a diversity that can be knit together into a unity, and there's a unity that holds together the diversity of the different ways that God works in each of us. I think that's something that most people, of, most of us are pretty ready to agree with, and yet, I don't know that it really gets very far with most of us. I think it, for me, for other people, I think it just sort of stops in our heads. I agree with that, and we move on. But, but if that started to sink in a little bit farther into how we actually 
form our relationships, how we actually treat one another, act together in Christian community. Let me try taking this a little different direction. The first thing that I would want you to know based on that teaching is your church community needs you. Like you as an individual, you confirmation students, every single one of you matters to the life and the health and the thriving and the mission of this larger community that you're a part of. All of you, what the Spirit is doing in you matters to all of us. Someone else in this church community may very well need the word of encouragement that the Spirit of God has sensitized you to see the need for and to offer in their life. Someone else in this church community needs a, a prayer that you can pray with them. That someone else, maybe other people in this church community, depend on acts of service that the Spirit has empowered you and moved you to perform. And if you don't play your part, if you don't show up and step up and cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in you, someone else will be at least a little bit diminished because your part actually matters. It has value. And in our world, we're so trained to think in every circumstance, what am I getting out of this? In every purchase or transaction, every relationship, every vacation, every trip, every experience, everything that we go, every bit of education, every job, we're asking, what am I getting out of this? Where does this take me? What's the benefit this is bringing to me, right? And we apply it to church, right? We go, well, I don't know. I didn't get very much out of that. I didn't get very much out of that message, out of that sermon. I feel for you. Truly, I do. I didn't get very much out of that song, whatever. That's, now, this might surprise you, but actually, that's not a totally wrong way to think, okay? Because you are supposed to be built up. The, the, the work of the Spirit in other people is supposed to work to build you up also. And, 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 and you get to do that too. The church community needs you. And you need what the Spirit is doing in the rest of the community. The Spirit works through each of us differently, creating a unity out of our diversity for the common good. Now, the next section is very long. It applies directly to some specific things in the context of the Corinthian church. I'm just going to summarize it for you kind of quickly. Two of the things that the Holy Spirit was doing in these Corinthian Christians in their little house church years ago are called tongues and prophecy. Some of you may have heard those words before. If you have, some of your blood pressure maybe just went up. You got a little bit nervous about what on earth that means. Let me just try to define for you what that was. Tongues describes this kind of miraculous spiritual experience that they were having where the Spirit inspired them, empowered them to some sort of miraculous language that's not of human language on this earth. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of a community that did that, if you've ever seen that. I've, in my past, been part of Christian communities where that was practiced. And in my experience, it tended to be expressed in a pretty healthy way, but I know that's not always the case. It was a God-honoring, healthy thing when I saw it. That was one thing the Spirit was doing among them. Another is prophecy. And we often misunderstand prophecy, too, as if a, a prophecy is always a, a prediction. The, God said this is going to happen in your life. And I've seen people do that all kinds of weird ways. Prophecy more than that, much more often than that, is, is a word of God spoken with insight. Uh, some, someone once said, it's not just foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's trying to speak the word of God with insight into somebody's life. Now, the Corinthians, in many different ways, for reasons that are too long to go into right now, were a really competitive society. In some ways, I think we can relate to this. And they felt competitive in their church. Like, who's the most spiritual? In whom is God doing the most important, most awesomely spiritual stuff? So let me ask you this question. 
If you were in Corinth, or maybe you were like the judges on Corinthian Idol, and you were gonna judge, who's the most awesomely spiritual? The ones who are moved by God to speak in a miraculous spiritual language that no human being can understand, or, unless they have another special gift of the Spirit, or someone who offers words of encouragement or advice or challenge to somebody else. You might have different opinions about that. The Corinthians tended to be on the first side. That's the awesomely spiritual thing. But Paul told them it's actually the second one. And the reason that it's the second one is because it more often serves other people. And therefore, it was more loving. It built other people up. So Paul, in this passage that we're kind of skipping through, he plays on their competitive instinct. He meets them where they are and says, let's go somewhere with that. So he wrote at the end of this chapter, you should eagerly desire the better gifts. Go, go get the greater gifts, he said. And then he wrote a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, on why love is the greatest thing ever, and he finished it by saying, the greatest of these is love. Therefore, try to cooperate with the Spirit in the way that builds somebody else up. In other words, if there were ever a competition among Christians, it would be a race to the bottom, right? Or as Paul said elsewhere, outdo one another in service to each other, right? See who can serve somebody else. If we're growing in the spirit, the question we ask is not, am I growing in the spirit more than you? Or how important am I in this church community? Or is somebody else getting more attention than I'm getting? It's how can I make sure someone else is built up? How can I put someone else's interests ahead of my own? How can we do these things so that God will bless other people? That's Christian spirituality. Then at the end, Paul makes some very, very practical application. And I wanna share this with you and then kind of translate it into our context. So this is 1 Corinthians 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. 14, verse 26. It's page 1685 in the Quest Bibles. Y'all, it's so beautiful, all the confirmation students down here turning their pages, finding and reading it with us. They just set a good example for us, don't they? All right. Here's a, good job, guys. Well done. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a, a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Here, that principle keeps coming to the surface, right? If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, then he goes, eh, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. And if there's no interpreter, then the speaker should just keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God, right? Because it wouldn't build anybody else up. And then he says, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. I've had people in my life say, I, I think God put this on my heart for you. I think, I think you should hear this, but you should also weigh this. Talk to somebody else about this so you know it's from God and I'm not just being wacky today, right? So that's what he said here. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, like someone else just stood up and was speaking, if it comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, take turns so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So you can't just be like, well, God wants me to keep talking so everyone else can shut up. No, no, you can take turns, it's okay. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. All right, Let me, let's try to focus on some takeaways from Paul's advice to Corinth and translate that into the Bible's advice to here. First of all, one takeaway is simply this, that the Spirit of God actually does still speak in and through us. I think many of us, maybe without consciously disagreeing, maybe so, but we've kind of lost track of this as an underlying assumption. But God actually does want to speak in your heart and in your mind. 
We are in a relationship with a living God, and we would be wise to listen. And on the one hand, we would be wise to listen individually, to listen in the moments throughout your day, to those places where you think you feel that nudge, that whisper of God, pay attention to those whispers. And I would say, make at least a little bit of space in your day somewhere for this. It doesn't matter when, honestly for me, it's better off if it's more than once, but sometimes, some place where you just make the noise quiet a little bit, where you make the pace slow down just a little bit at least, and you can say, God, do you wanna say something to my heart? Is that you? (laughs) Is there something you need to say to me? I'm listening. Our Catalyst group this last week talked about that a little bit, about our prayer life, and I'm gonna talk to you a little bit more next week about this making space in our lives thing. In order to contribute to the common good, in order to contribute to the building up of the community, it helps if we cultivate our own relationship with God. And so that's the second part. We'd be wise to listen individually. We'd also be wise to listen in community. And I think Paul's advice to the Corinthian church here, it applies to us, but it doesn't apply that well in worship services like these, right? What we do here is important for lots of reasons, but it's not a great environment for everybody to just get up and speak all at once. I mean, you think I talk for a long time. What if there were hundreds of people up here all at once, right? Confirmation students, that's why you all have small groups all the way through, why you have small group guides to help you with this, because you're listening for what the Spirit is doing in each of you and, and discussing that and sharing encouragement and prayer with one another. That's why we have environments like that. It's why in our whole church community, we emphasize growth groups in every generation and why you have a good and important relationship with other generations too, so that we can share with each other, so we can listen to each other, listen for what the Spirit is saying among us. And we write our discussion guides for those things, and this week especially, to make room for that sort of thing, with that sort of thing specifically in mind. The Spirit of God is alive and is active among us, and and God shapes our community for life together in Christ through his work in each of us. And you guys, our confirmands, it is a joy to welcome you as you take your next steps in our larger life together. And my prayer for you is this prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. I ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's pray. Father in heaven, good and gracious God, we pray that you would give us the spirit, that you would pour out your spirit into each of us and into all of us together as a people, that we would know you better, that you would build us up through one another, that you would speak through each of us, remind us each of the important part that we play in one another's lives, that you would draw us together in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.